0: you got my Just ask you got
1: my You are listening to Feminist Current. I'm Megan Murphy. In recent years, prisons across the Western world have been allowing men who identify as women to be housed alongside female inmates, leading to sexual harassment, sexual assaults, pregnancies, and of course complaints from women both in prison and among the general public. These complaints have been mostly ignored by governments and those with the power to actually do something. That said, the policy in the UK was changed in February in response to a number of violent male offenders, including a rapist who changed his name from Adam Graham to Isla Bryson, Requesting to or actually being moved to women's prisons in Scotland. The new policy prevents men who retain male genitalia or have been convicted of a violent or sexual offense from being moved to women's prisons. The US and Canada, though, continue to lag on this, and dangerous men remain in women's prisons across the continent. While politicians may be silent, women are not. I spoke to two women who are taking action. Amanda Stolman is the USA director of Keep Prisons Single Sex, and Jennifer Thomas is the founder of Free Speech for Women and runs an action group called Get Men Out. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me on the Feminist Current Podcast. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking with you both. I I think the work that you two are doing is super important. Um, And on that note, I would love if you both could tell um, our listeners a little bit about The work that you do, and how you came to be involved in in this issue. Amanda, why don't you start?
2: Thanks. Thanks for having us. I um, became involved in this issue in particular um, because I have a background in administrative law and policy, and because the issue of prisons is um, so distinct in so many different jurisdictions, um, on top of the 50 states, there's the federal system, and there are over 2,000 separate municipal um, jails, county, um, cities that um, each one can have its own um, unique policy or law which applies to it. So I thought I could be useful in breaking down um, what those policies look like and how they end up applying in the real world. So I um, worked with Kate Coleman, who is the founder of, excuse me, Keep Prison Single Sex. She's based in the UK and we opened a branch of Keep Prison Single Sex in the US over two years ago. And the goal of Keep Prison Single Sex is obviously to advocate against mixed sex prisons. And we do that by obtaining data, gathering research, lobbying lawmakers and policymakers and trying to bring public awareness to the issue great uh, I'm so glad that you're doing this work
1: this issue of of men being transferred into women's prisons is so troubling and I've been extremely frustrated as I'm sure you both have as well over the past few years that um, governments in North America, are really not paying attention to this and really not addressing women's concerns. Um Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about your work and background and, and how you came to get involved in, in the activism that you're doing? Well, I'm
0: I'm sort of a um an action an action group. So I focus on it on all the issues with that affect, you know, um women and girls and gender. Um, I, I, like, I I work, I love working with Amanda, because, you know, um, she's so knowledgeable with the policies. And this last, you know, uh, protest get men out. That was an action group I started that uh, the first thing I wanted to do was aim at um, the prison situation, because that is so abhorrent, you know, and it's so obvious that it's wrong. But, um, you know, I'm will then, you know, direct that towards the bathroom issue you know and other issues too. get men out you know save our spaces get men out it sort of covers everything and what i sort of like to do is read the temperature of what's going on and try to anticipate where i will you know hit a soft spot and get the most exposure so that's sort of what i do i mean i don't solely focus on the prison issue but you know as with everything in, you know, the gender harms, you, you know, you focus on one and the prison issue will lead you to the ACLU because they're the ones that, you know, sued for that policy to get in there. So, you know, I'll start there and dig deeper um, just to try to see where I can, where I can, you know, kind of find that soft spot and, you know, get more action and more attention focused on that issue. So, I know, I've worked with Amanda a few times. I've worked with, you know, Beth Stolzer from Save Women Sports. You know, I've worked with a number of, you know, partners for ethical cares. Um, When they have an action that I think will, you know, really hit the temperature, you know, of where I think America's at, then I go full force in. Um, So that's what happened with this this um get men out you know protest we worked with amanda and amy ichikawa and um you know we we had a sense that like the the population was starting to be willing to see this you know there's there's a certain amount of media that they're looking for stories and this these this issue is so um it's such a violation that you know it's 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 the first thing we wanted to do with Get Men Out.
1: Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's like we when we're talking about women out. in prison, we're talking about really some of the most, most vulnerable women in the country. Um, same goes for, for Canada. I've covered this issue in Canada a little bit. I, I interviewed Heather Mason a while back, who's a really brave advocate um she's an ex-inmate herself um and she's been one of the only ones speaking out in canada about this issue but you know we're talking about women who already like have almost no rights have no voice because they're in prison and being housed with like not just men but like the worst men violent offenders rapists child molesters so on and so forth um you mentioned Jennifer, you mentioned, um, that the ACLU was heavily involved in in pushing for, um, this, this policy allowing men to be transferred into women's prisons. I want to talk a little bit more about that. I want to talk about, you know, how, how this happened. Um, Amanda, maybe you can speak to that a little bit.
2: Sure. And, um, uh, on top of the usual ire one should feel for the ACLU and their complete betrayal of uh, what their mission is supposed to be and what they're supposed to stand for, I'm going to add, I have some extra ire for it. I, as a very young person in the early 90s, as a young adult, I interned at the ACLU um, in the exact same program that is now their LGBTQ plus LGBTQ++IA, um, when it was... The lesbian and gay rights and HIV project, mm-hmm. and to see them stray so far afield, um, not just from the substance of this issue in particular, in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, protecting women, but even on some of the ancillary issues. So, for example, they were the main drivers behind um, preventing a woman from a woman from requesting public records in Washington State. Uh, she was trying to learn um, how many men were there, how recently they'd been moved. People were starting to get wind of um, the policy change in Washington several years ago. And it was the ACLU who worked with several inmates representing them to fight the disclosure by Washington State Department of Corrections to a public records request. The enormous irony of it is that this woman learned how to make her public records request from the ACLU's own website. The the ACLU's mission is, you know, transparency, um, public awareness, obtaining data from the government, the government works for you, and they actively work to suppress access to data that would allow the public to learn the impact of these policies. And they were so successful that they managed to work with the Washington State Legislature and actually passed a law modifying their public records um, law to exclude disclosure of issues related to um, gender identity and prisoners. So unless you get information directly from women housed there, which you know is incredibly dangerous <laughs> and risky for them, um, there's no way to do it kind of on paper publicly um, because, directly because of the ACLU. So having said that, getting back to sort of the primary issue of um, pushing for this policy, the um, New York Civil Liberties Union, which is kind of a local version of the ACLU, I, I believe it originated with them. I haven't been able to track it back any further, but they're the ones who have developed the model transgender inmate policy that was enacted in California, that legislatures tried to enact it in Maryland. They're actively trying to enact a version of it in New York state right now, um, which is even more extreme than the version in California. So they're not only kind of rhetorically pushing this issue, they are actively developing model laws they're actively pushing for those laws and actively working to prevent the public from learning about this issue
1: this is so appalling (laughs) i mean for these kinds of organizations to be really fighting against the rights of incredibly marginalized people um it's really mind-blowing that this is happening
0: um i well, they're acting as a legal agent of the gender industry. I mean like it's mm-hmm. it's you know there's really no getting around you know we have to expose and you know fight the ACLU because they are their basically their legal their legal firm. Yeah. that is pushing their policy. So it's and that's the thing when when you you know focus on different areas of this it's this Pandora's box that you know, keeps going and, you know, and then you find, oh, we're fighting the ACLU and the UN and this and that, you know, just, just, you know, it's not just as simple as, oh, there's men in women's prisons. Let's end that policy. You, you have to dig deeper. Like I'm planning a protest in um, August against the ACLU in, in Washington, DC um, because, you know, we can at least go after their donors.
2: You know, right. all the
0: people that think the ACLU is so great and remember when they protected the Nazis in Skokie and they believe in free speech and all that. The whole the whole uh, narrative behind them that they've managed to hide, you know, the new narrative of is still believed by a lot of the Democrats. And I think if the Democrats knew what the ACLU have been doing with you know, our civil liberties, they would stop donating. Would that stop the ACLU? No, because the gender industry would just make up for that money. But you could see then a shift with the populace, you know, a a shift of awareness if if we did that.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up um, in terms of the donors, because one of the major obstacles to fighting, you know, gender identity ideology across the board, you know, it's infiltrated almost every single institution um and certainly every single civil rights organization reproductive rights organizations lg now btq etc organizations i mean the reason that they're doing this is because they're getting all this funding to do it um or you know alternatively you could look at it as though you know they're they risk losing funding if they don't push this um but, I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, where where do we go to advocate against these policies when we're dealing with these massive organizations and institutions and, you know, clearly this ideology has infiltrated the Democratic Party. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, it sort of it feels so big, and I know that people are getting really angry about it, thanks to activism, like what you two are doing. Um, but it feels like a big hill to climb. I wonder what your, you know, have you had successes to share, or or where do you think, you know, where can where can who can we target?
0: Well, it's,
2: oh God,
1: Amanda, go ahead, Amanda, Amanda to and then Jonathan
2: you can I, respond. I was. I was gonna say to the point of like, who can we turn to? I have found that to be among the most depressing part of working in this area, which is that there is not a single legacy civil rights organization or women's rights group um, that understands this issue or at least um, pretends to. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single one of them has been absolutely ideologically captured so it really does seem as though um, either these organizations have to be um, built anew from the ground up some other version of them or it's going to take um, what jennifer um, does an enormous amount of which is on the street campaigning to bring awareness to force media to pay attention to the issue and to bring it to the public um, we don't have the numbers in North America of people advocating on this issue. We certainly don't have the dollars. The reason the ACLU um, changed the name of the program that addresses this is because they received a $15 million gift um, from John Stryker. Um, and that led to the change of the name and um, their absolute commitment um, to all T all the time and none of the LGB. Um, so I, I I, don't think there's a good answer to how we deal with the established organizations. I think um, people and especially women like Jennifer are the ones sort of creating a public groundswell. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah,
1: I've, I'm verging towards it's like, I think all these organizations need to be defunded and taken apart and and started over again, so that they're not tied so tied up with this this money that's corrupted them so deeply. Sorry to interrupt you, Jennifer. Go ahead.
0: Oh no, no. Um, I, I was just thinking, like you know, if if the only real solution is the the, the public, you know, against this, right? I mean, the, when we see thousands of people, you know, in the streets, you know, fighting against this. That's when, I mean, it's just, it just is, that's just the way it is. That's when we'll see some change because people have to get mad enough to get out on the streets. And, you know, this like complacency that they're under with the internet and like, I don't know, the spoon fed lifestyle that maybe some of them are used to is I think delaying it. But inevitably I do think we will see a groundswell and, you know, and that's when, that's when we'll be re, regain our power you know we won't feel so helpless because we'll, we'll look around and instead of seeing you know 20 or 30 people standing next to us it's thousands you know and 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 i mean that is how it works right that's how, that's how you know we know about martin luther king because he went to the streets so it it is going to take that and it's going to take a you know a an awareness level where we just have to keep plugging along and hitting hitting these stories. Now there's this new media that is hungry for these stories, right? You know, Tucker just got fired, O'Keefe got fired. You know, they're looking for stories, right? Because they're going to build their own thing or, you know, bend to the knee of, you know, whoever, but I doubt that. I doubt they'll even get job offers, you know, at uh, big, you know, networks. So we do have like sort of this interesting time right now where there's new media that we can kind of tap into that will tell our story. Um, And it's getting out more and more, you know, but it's, it's work, you know, it's, it's going to take work. So
1: I want to talk a bit about the law. Um, I, I mean, I know that Joe Biden's administration pushed through a uh, policy um, allowing men to be transferred into women's prisons. But I also am under the impression that things differ from state to state. Like I know that in New York, um, New York lawmakers are pushing or trying to push through this bill um, called the gender identity, respect, dignity and safety act, which would automatically place male prisoners in in women's facilities if they identify as women. Um I'm curious to know, first of all, if you know what's happening with this bill, and second, if this is something that we actually need to be fighting on a state to state basis or that we can fight on a federal level.
2: So the New York State Bill, um, as you say, presumptively houses people according to their self declared gender identity. And there is um such uh an insanely high burden and such a quick turnaround time required to deny that to someone that the bill was clearly drafted in new york with the intent to never ever ever deny someone um and was also also has built in um, mechanisms for the state to be sued if someone's denied, and to have attorneys' fees and damages paid. So it it is so unidirectional a law. It's uh, a little frightening that that came about after all we've heard coming out of California and New Jersey and Canada, um, to the extent that people hear about it. Um, the The answer to the sort of law more broadly is, yes, for right now, this is having to be fought on a state-by-state basis. When um, this administration, when the Biden administration came in um, on its first day in office, it issued an executive order directing federal agencies to interpret the laws and regulations that um, they um, have some control over, that they manage in the various agencies to interpret sex to include gender identity. So with, uh, you know, one pen stroke on his first day in office, he directed every federal agency to um, work through that process. For the Bureau of Prisons, which is the only direct mechanism the federal government has, there are some indirect ones, which I'll mention, but it's the only direct prison system that the federal government controls putting aside military kind of thing Um, on um during the obama administrations last month in office they created a transgender offender manual and literally like chucked it in the air and walked out the door (laughs) and left that for the trump administration to deal with and um, it was a very aggressive policy, um, again, not not a federal law, not a regulation, didn't go through any voting process, didn't go through any public comment process. It was merely an in-house um, manual that the Federal Bureau of Prisons was expected to follow. It took the Trump administration um, a y- year and a half, two years to... Uh, Grapple with that policy and try to modify it, which they did um, in you know kind of half-hearted way. And then, following um, Biden's executive order and a few other similar executive orders, the Federal Bureau of Prisons again reissued the transgender offender manual, and again leaning much more heavily towards um, a, a pathway for men to be moved into the women's prisons based on self declaration so that's what covers the federal prison the way that the federal government impacts the state prison system is they have money and there's a federal regulation um, called the priya regulations and it derives from the prison rape elimination act the priya regulations provide and those did go through a public comment period But that was so long before this issue was in the public's line of vision. Um, You know, it was over a decade ago. Nobody was paying attention to this. Well, some rare people were paying attention, but very few people were paying attention. And through the regulatory process, the Obama Department of Justice issued regulations that contemplated cross-sex housing. The act itself did not. And that's the first time in the federal legal system there was anything speaking to even the concept of developing cross-sex housing. So what those regulations provide is that in order to maintain full federal funding, and every state receives some, in order to maintain that you get dinged hugely massively dinged until you receive no money (laughs) year after year you get successively more dinged if you do not adhere to those regulations so every state has to at least on paper consider housing people based on their self-declared trans identity so for a number of years Most states were like, "Eh, okay, and then went about their business. But some of them took it really seriously. So now a number of states have either laws or policies that not only implement those regulations of contemplating cross-sex housing, but presumptively uh, house according to self-declared gender identity.
0: And this is how the federal government influences states throughout like the federal government has um you know has the el right the president can come in and put out an executive order right that's what he did this crazy executive order that you know virtually you know anybody would think was an insane you know prioritizing gender identity above sex-based rights you know they, they can come in and do that and then they have this mechanism of everything federal so the schools are funded federally so they you know basically blackmail them into um, adopting these policies by withholding money and they do it in the prisons and they did, that's how it trickles into the states right so you think well why doesn't the state you know why would the states go along with this well they wouldn't get their money they they even threatened the school lunch program at one point mm-hmm. with the, with you know if you don't adopt these policies your school lunch program's going to be threatened so it, it's just a mechanism of how the government, our government works. Um, these EOs have a lot of control, even with Title Nine. Title Nine is, I mean, it's so, I mean, Amanda could probably speak better to this, but it's sort of like an EO, right? They That's why it's being messed with, because it's not, it's not a, a, a law per se, right? It's a, it's a withholding of money if you don't do this right so like the universities that are there are some laws in there but they're just not pursuing them but um it's also if you you're sporting whatever won't get the money won't get federal money if you don't abide by our policies so it's just how the federal government affects the states is through these institutions and this money that they're you know that they're withholding
2: right um Just to clarify, Title IX is itself a law, but it's the regulations that they're kind of messing with right now. And what they're trying to do is trying to apply um, what both Jennifer and I have been talking about in terms of the executive orders, redefining sex to mean sex or gender identity. What they are trying to do through the formal, the reason we've heard a lot about Title IX is they are going through the formal rulemaking process and putting it out for public comment and they received a record number of comments which is really heartening um about modifying the the language of the regulations which is where you'll find all the meaty stuff about how what you have to do to get money if you're a state or a state entity um
1: i want to talk about some specific cases i i read on your website, Amanda. I believe that there are twenty-seven males currently being housed at Edna Edna Mahan Correctional Facility for Women, um. Which I I mean that was a part of the, part of the the Get Men Out protest in New Jersey last month. That was obviously a, a central focus. Twenty-seven, like that's crazy. Is that normal throughout the states?
2: Well, woo now there's only about 10. Okay. Um, so a number of them managed to behave so poorly, they um, got themselves um, moved out. Um, about two years ago, uh, we worked with um, Women's Declaration to do a statewide FOIA project of every state prison to try to see what the numbers were in each location. Um, many were extremely uncooperative and we were not able to get a completely exhaustive list, but there are states that that are in that range. Um, admittedly, not many two years ago. I think there's probably more now um, if we were to circle back and do it again. Um, but in even in very even in states where you wouldn't necessarily think of it. There's a handful, usually. Virginia had one for decades, um, even before this recent push. Um, But a number of states have several dozen. Obviously, California does now. Washington state is getting up there. Illinois' numbers are growing. And they have neither a policy nor a law. A federal judge keeps putting men in women's prison. in Illinois. Um, so it's everywhere to the extent, you know, the, to the extent the numbers are in that range, that changes, but we're, we're only seeing them go up. We're not seeing them go down much. Um, New Jersey went down just because they, they had a kind of a freak out um, placement of men in there when they reached uh, the settlement with the ACLU that Jennifer referenced. And then they had another panic in the other direction when it went so badly
1: and and what are some of the cases like what are we hearing about that's actually going on in these prisons i know that you know when i talk about this issue online you know people will respond in these very blasé ways people will say like oh well you know women get raped in prison either way or they say well you know if they're in male prisons then these these males who identify as women are going to get raped or they'd say like generally oh well prison is really bad and i don't know maybe they're just not able to picture the situation and what's actually going down and what the danger is when you're putting men in women's prisons but what can you talk to some specific cases that have happened
0: if i may can i just step in here for a sec? if that were the case, right if it's blase and we all but what we don't agree to it so when a woman gets um, con, you know convicted of a crime and the judge reads out her sentence, he doesn't say okay, your sentence is rape possible rape, possible um, forced childbirth or a, abortion and then possible um, uh, you know abandonment of your you know abandonment of your child. Right. So we don't agree. We don't have agreed upon laws that cover this. Right. We aren't. We are not. The public is not in agreement on this. Otherwise, that would be the sentence. Right. So this apathy around it it is this apathy around it just upsets me to no end, because I also think people think it can't happen to them. They they'll they'll never end up in prison. And, you know, the prison industrial complex is waiting for them. And the fastest growing category is women. So, you know, they're setting out to, you know, sort of make it easier for women to go to prison. When women get convicted, it's for lesser, um, harsher sentences for lesser crimes. And I think this, you know, like sort of bleeds into that industrial complex, like in, um New Jersey, they were making sixty one thousand a person off of their prisoners. Women are easier to manage. Mm-hmm. Men actually prison reform is working for men and not women. Right? So it's you know, men are getting shorter sentences for you know, worse crimes and getting out. Where women, you know, I think they're moving towards uh, you know, wanting to house women and then what? They'll add more to that population by adding men you know the the vulnerable men supposedly mm. you know it, it, right now if Bundy were you know applied he would get in he would get into women's prison If Richard Speck who killed Richard Speck who killed eight nurses in Chicago he actually took hormones and you know dressed like a woman when he was in jail he would be in there with them there's no distinction of like how bad the crime is. They're just vulnerable. So I just wanted to add that before Amanda, Amanda jumps in. Um, but yeah, yeah, thank you. No, I think those are
2: really good points. And I think a lot of it speaks to, I mean, aside from the sort of disregard of, for prisoners in general, as just, you know, kind of a throwaway population. But aside from that, I think it is largely a misconception about Ideas about that—it's a subset of, you know, at best, a subset of men that they're imagining are a particular kind of man, or worse, you know, they think there's some sort of version of a subset of of women. But I think most people imagine um, that it's nonviolent criminals, that it's men who have had um, genital surgery, that it's necessarily men who are on hormones that it's men who are tiny and pretty and vulnerable. Um, And I I think all of those assumptions are out there. And obviously, even if somebody is those things, you know, not a violent (laughs) criminal, is tiny, um, has had general surgery, is on hormones. If they're a man, they still don't belong in men's prison. But um, I, I think that is what most of the public imagines when they hear these stories, which is one reason that it's so important for the, the stories and the names and the visuals and the crimes and all of that to be made really right in people's faces so they can see the criminal history of these men. They can see what they look like, which I know seems really superficial. Mm-hmm. But that page on Keep Prison Single Sex website that has sort of a sample of men and their crimes who are in women's prisons I mean I've peaked people in 30 seconds by showing them that mm-hmm. page mm-hmm. you know just the the visual of it is sometimes seems to be what people need like oh still has a penis and is massive that's crazy like that alone yeah. sometimes does it yeah
1: yeah and I think for people just seeing that I mean I, I guess Probably a lot of people, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, are imagining these men who are identifying as women or trans women as being men who, in quotations, pass. So men who look like women, probably men who've gone through all the surgeries and so on and so forth. So I imagine that what's happening there when you're showing them, these are the men who are in these these women's facilities, that they just look like regular dudes like not even trying to look like women like no these are not some vulnerable like woman looking man who's just going to get predated on and attacked in prison and it's going to be a way worse situation and he doesn't even look like a man anyway so none of this makes any sense and, or, or he doesn't have a penis anyway so what's the difference right
2: right right or they look exactly like, like men who have literally put their hair in pigtails which is somehow even more alarming you and know, the, the women
0: said in their letters. Yeah, the women said in their letters they drop that act right when they come in, and then it's yeah. a million dollar baby game. You know, let's make a baby. Uh, so they're not acting like you know vulnerable when that's going on. It's it's you know this is just a complete facade. In the UK,
1: they've actually had some success, so they have started to change their policies in order to bar violent offenders as i understand it from being transferred to women's prisons is that do i have that right
2: i, I believe that's right there's a certain yeah. category who you just know the answer is no
1: yeah so I, is that has there been any success in that regard from from your guys' work have you had any success in in advocating for change in the us or have you seen this actually this reality and and what's happening sort of have an impact when you talk to politicians about it, for example.
2: In terms of successes, um, there aside from public awareness, which is you know kind of hard to measure um, but in terms of objective successes, um, a number of organizations and women including, Um, keep prison single sex and me um, fought very hard in maryland to keep a proposed law there from getting out of committee and that was successful um, a year or two ago Um, new york state's law sat in committee the last legislative session um, through a letter writing campaign from keep prison single sex Um, i like to think we had something to do with it not making it out of committee then as well so it is not um no successes in terms of turning things around necessarily uh but like putting a hand up to the the train that just keeps going faster some of that Um, but the public awareness is huge um that some um Mainstream-ish media in New York Post did a story about Jennifer's um, action um, last month. Uh, they're covering it, as Jennifer mentioned. Alternative media um, is becoming more interested in it. So in terms of public awareness, I think that's where we're seeing success. I can't say so much elsewhere.
0: Yeah, and public awareness, um, you know, it it's, it's that's a tricky thing because you have to get them mad enough to come out. Otherwise it's cause you know, I, I'm out. i I travel a lot and I talk to everyone. And when I say there's men and women's prison, people aren't surprised. They know it's not like I'm peeking them or anything, you know, Oh, that's terrible. You know, I never get that. They know. I think there's a sense of helplessness that can be overcome with just more people on the ground and, you know, the more people rally and organize and get together because we have to rebuild almost all our organizations. Right. So we're going to, we're going to be needing to mesh with, you know, new people, churches that have retained their organization and, and can relay messages without, you know, the dictatorship of social media and tech, um, trying to prevent that from happening, trying to silence, we're going to have to come up with alternatives um And alternative ways of networking and, and different people to network with to really get the ball rolling. Um, because it's too scary alone. And so people have the not, I think a lot of people are aware. I think we're at the, the stage of how do we get them to join us? How do we get them to, you know, come and let us ease some of that helplessness? that you're feeling about this by joining together and, you know, and then the lawyers mix in and then, and then we got, then then we're cooking with gas, you know, and and we can, we can make change. And that's, that's, you know, we're behind, you know, England, we have different laws here. That's a totally different landscape here, but America, I do feel like, I do feel like it's changed over the past couple of years and there is more, there's more people interested in fighting this. So we are at the stage of just kind of weaving that, that blanket, you know, weaving together. Um, and we're, we're, we're going to get better at this. You yeah. Know? And, and I, I have, I have hope for the future.
1: I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think that really, unfortunately we, and I'm speaking like for myself, I'm not speaking for you too, because, um, I don't know how long you guys have all been involved in this work, but we and and a lot of the radical feminists who were worried about this early on really didn't understand how big this was and how deep the issue goes. So, you know, probably naively thought if we can just get the word out, then we can stop it, not realizing that this was coming top down from these very wealthy funders and, and just letting people know about it may have not been enough although of course the more people that know um the more people will push back especially at a at a government level um and hopefully have an impact on on things like legislation um i want to hear more about sorry was one of you going to say something
2: i was going to say you had asked about politicians and i i think there's something relevant on that issue particularly to contrast how it's gone in the U.S. and Canada with the U.K., and that is that our politicians, um, you know, the Democratic Party, liberal politicians, or I should say lefty politicians, um, are absolutely committed to holding on to the belief that the only people who could object to these policies are religious conservatives. Yeah. And so even when you write, you know, I write as a constituent to my own, Representatives, and I'm in New York, so they're all Democrats. Mm -hmm. And every time I do, I get back a form letter that says, Um, we're excited to learn about your interest in religious freedom, blah, 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 blah. You must be concerned about this for religious reasons. And I write back and I say, that is not my concern. My concern is this. And I get another form letter that's there like letter two in this letter tree. You know, Thank you for demonstrating your interest in religious freedom. We're concerned about that too. So some of what's happened and some of the challenge in the US and perhaps to some extent in canada too probably to a slightly lesser degree but um is there is this artificial reinforced divide about who's for these policies and who's against them and why and there um it becomes additionally challenging when much of the media who will cover this is either conservative or religious or both. And bless them, I am so thankful that they do, but it means that people who, um, all of us need to be interested and concerned about this issue are just allergic to the arguments because they come out of the gate thinking this is tribal and we're not in that tribe. So we're not joining hands with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been the the media. And so I think the political view from the get go, which is why it was so difficult for, you know, feminists to, to get their perspectives out in the first place. I mean, in Canada, the media would only cover this issue as one of the religious right, which is strange because the religious right in Canada is really pretty marginal. Um, mm-hmm. Although I suppose that, got marginal coverage, but they treat it as though it was only a debate between the religious right and everybody else. Um, So, yeah, clearly they've done the same thing in a larger, uh, larger, to a larger extent in the U.S., which is frustrating because, as you say, people kind of just shut down and think, well, I guess you must be, a you know, religious right,
0: Christian, gay, hating jerk. (laughs) Mhm and and throw abortion on top of that, which they have done. Um, that's the conservative side, you know, messing with the with the program. Um, so it's just it's division everywhere. but there is this new um I think this new hold on sorry shes there's this new media, and I do I mean, there's a yearning, like there's so many politically homeless Democrats. And that don't want to go Republican and moderates that are just like, okay, I just, you know, want, I just want good schools for my kids. I don't want them brainwashed, you know. So I I think there's, you know, people are converging on almost every issue in gender. Like all the, all the the heads of the Hydra people (laughs) have been bit by and they're, they're grouping. And we are at a stage where, you know, of course they're trying to, you know, suppress our message, right? Each each echo chamber, right? If you imagine Twitter is like a big echo chamber of, you know, those are the conservatives that are worried about the school. Those ones are worried about drag queen story hour. It's, it's the, you know, the women are worried about the bathroom issue. The, these women are worried about the prisons, right? If, you, if we get them, we're all starting moms of liberty and we're all starting to kind of sing the same message. Like we want to work together, we can set aside whatever differences we have. This is too important. Mm-hmm. So I do, I mean, the, you know, I, 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 I think there's hope. There's always hope, right? <laughs> and, you know, this, we're, we're basically fighting the 1%, you know, it's, yeah. and, and if everyone could come in on even the free speech you know, issue where, you know, if we don't have it, we're, we are literally slaves, you know, like, that's, it's you know, they can tell us to say anything and do anything at that point. Um, you know, and, and, and people are affected even with COVID. It brought people, it, it, it's, it's starting to galvanize. Um, it's just, we're fighting a big, you know, machine basically that um, has, you know, it's, it can exert power. And you know, like even with Tucker, he got you know he was the top you know, top host of the top you know show in America, and they showed us he can be taken off the throne. They want to model behavior of defeat with us, and we have to fight that with modeling behavior of not using pronouns, you know, demanding our autonomy, um, you know, like and individually and then together. And I think we are getting there. More and more people are getting pissed about this. You know, like even, when, even my sisters, okay, I have sisters, and a lot of them were against me. Um, but after Tucker, a couple of them came around. So so like, you know, it, the temperature has changed. My sisters are full-on Democrats, raised in Chicago, you know. Um, but they're coming around because they're seeing it affect them. And, you know, that's how it goes with issues. It has to affect you. Your kid has to be an, at, in peril and it's, it's gone, you know, over the top that now mostly everybody's kids are in peril and people are starting to see that. So I, I think we are like, you're going to see America sort of, you know, gain momentum, and then it'll kind of rub off on Canada just because we're so close. Um that's what I'm hoping for. Cause otherwise Canada, I mean, I I'm so sorry. That's all I have to say about Canada.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean, it's really, really bad. <laughs> it's a really bad situation in Canada and nothing's really changing and there's not much, there's a little bit of pushback here and there, but not nearly enough and nothing comparable to what's going on in the U S. So I do, I mean, it, Canada does follow America's lead. So, um, I think you might be right on that end. Um, and I'm glad that you made that point about we're fighting the 1%, because we are. I mean, this movement, this trans rights movement, has done so much work very successfully to present itself as just another grassroots civil rights movement. You know, this is just about these marginalized people who don't have rights fighting back for their lives, fighting back for their rights, fighting back for them their safety. And that is not how any of this happened. This was fully a top-down thing. And those of us fighting back are the ones who have very, very, very little power.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and they always say what exactly what they're afraid of, right? They, they always say sort of like, You're, you don't want us to exist, and then they erase the word women. Mm-hmm. you know it's kind mm-hmm. so bizarre they're the way they internalize you know when 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 this mass you know propaganda machine went into the you know internet and captured all the young people basically they internalized this dialogue with everything they're doing to us they're they've that's what is happening to them yeah it's a very strange you know um way to like argue with somebody. It's why there's no dialogue with them. They can't argue it. You know, if, if you go past one sentence and then they get to make some statement, the next question, it falls apart. And then, you know, they're pretty much back to pull the bullhorn on and the music box. So nobody can hear anything. I think what they don't want people to hear is how ridiculous their answers are.
1: Of course. Yeah. I
0: don't <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're right. It's it's all it's always a reversal. Um, It's always about, you know, the trans activists presenting themselves as these downtrodden silence. Everyone's after them. They're being threatened and harassed and silenced all the time. And we know as women who are trying to speak out on this, that it's it's the total opposite. And I mean, I think anyone who's really paying attention to this debate can see what happens to to women in particular. Who speak out and and who really has has the power in all of this institutionally and and you know in a lot of cases literally the physical power as well as we're talking about men. Um, yeah, I I've kept you both for a long time so I want to let you go. Um, before I do let you go, can you please tell me how to find your work, your organizations, and support your work? Um, and if you have any upcoming actions that people might be able to support or attend.
2: Um, Amanda, why don't you start? Sure. So the USA website for Keep Prison Single Sex is usa.kpssinfo.org. Other than there, we're most active on Twitter, which is at no x underscore usa Um, by that we mean just in prisons and in single sex spaces Mm -hmm. um and uh we're also on facebook if you just look up k uh key prison single sex usa we can be found there awesome and uh can people support your
1: work in any way
2: um yes we do have um thank you for asking about that we do have a donate button on our website and just so people are aware everything gets funded through the uk so if it is in um pounds don't be surprised um and um the the uk uh group will honor um requests to direct that towards uh, the USA efforts, but that's what funds all of our work. Um, everyone's a volunteer. Um, any expenses we have get paid through fundraisers to the UK Keep Prison Single Sex.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, I'm Jennifer Thomas Rev Fem Streetbeat. It's Rev like Revolution Rev F E M S T B E A T on Twitter. Um, I run the action group Get Men Out. Uh, my next event is um, June 16th in Pittsburgh at the city council building. Uh it should be one o'clock um, that I'm aiming to get men out at the bathroom issue. And, um, and of course it's a, it's a free speech for women event. So we'll invite speakers and, and all that too. Um, and then the, the following protest I have on the calendar is for the ACLU. And that is, august friday august 11th so if you're interested in washington dc um at the on the supreme court steps if you're interested in attending that you know that's where we're going to be um uh, yeah that's about it <laughs> that's that's the deal s it's get men out sos save our spaces so um
1: yeah perfect do you have like a mailing list or anything i mean just so that people can stay up to date with what you're doing or do you have a, a website or is it just on Twitter?
0: You you can email me at um, free speech for women at gmail.com okay. um, and I'll get back to you. Uh, I have, I, 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 I do fundraising, but I peg it to each um, uh, protest so or, or each speaking event. Mm-hmm. So like the, the, Fundraiser won't come out for the Pittsburgh for about, you know until about a month before. So if you just um follow me on on uh Twitter, that's the best way to to find me um or email me at uh freespeechforwomen at gmail.com.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you both so much for speaking with me about this. I'm really excited about the work that you're doing, and I'm glad that you both um feel hopeful about affecting change. And um, yeah, and I'm, I'm really grateful for your your willingness to fight and
0: all the, all the hard work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Megan. It's, it's such a pleasure. And you are, you know, a woman that I admire. And I thank you so much for the interview.
1: Same. Thank you. Okay, take care. I'm Megan Murphy.
0: Thanks for tuning in to
1: Feminist Current. You can find us online at FeministCurrent.com, tweet at us at FeministCurrent, or send us an email at info at We are hosted by Libsyn, and you can subscribe to the Feminist Current podcast anywhere you like to listen. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocketcast, TuneIn, Spotify, and beyond. You can even give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Feminist Current is produced and host by myself, Megan Murphy. We have been ad-free, sponsorship-free, wealthy investor-free, and fully independent since 2012. If you enjoyed this podcast, and if you value independent women's media, by women, for women, no compromises, please consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit FeministCurrent.com and click the donate button.